Welcome to the Kincast from Kinherit. We examine everyday challenges from running a business, self-development, and getting on the property ladder to dealing with loss, having a family, and preparing for our end of life. Practical and insightful, the Kincast series will take you through life's challenges from cradle to grave. It addresses the current climate while also looking to the future to see how we can survive and thrive. Good morning and welcome to the Kincast. My name is Ben Mason. I'm the CEO of Kinherit, end-of-life planning firm specialising in wills, trusts and powers of attorney. I'm very lucky. I get some really good guests. Um, You'll have seen a few of the people we've had so far across um, business, finance, different people from different areas, even ladies yesterday from the death cafes who, who helped talk about loss and all things surrounding death. But today, I've got a great guest, a real sort of switch up in pace. I've got uh, former Lieutenant Colonel Felix Spender, who um, is an expert in cooperation, collaboration and dispute, dispute resolution. So I don't want to steal his thunder. You can see him there waiting patiently to be introduced. So I'll let Felix um, give 90 seconds, two minutes on himself. So Felix, welcome today. Thank you. Can you tell us about yourself? Morning, Ben. Um, I left the, the army 10 years ago. I served 30 years in the army, um, doing various things and going to all the sort of usual places and um, left 10 years ago. And when I left the army, I didn't quite know what to do. So I, I went through various different uh, jobs. And um, while I was doing it, I was looking at conflict because there was a lot of it around. I've been through a lot of it and I um, thought there must be a wet, better way of doing this must be a better way of resolving these issues other than smashing yourself together on the streets or, or in the courtroom. Uh, and so I, I worked with some other people and we developed this idea of, of, of conflict management. Um, and we've been doing it ever since and, and, and expanded into various other areas, which Ben will talk about in due course. Brilliant. I think um, it's very, it's very, how do I say it? very relevant with the world we live in today that I think people are struggling to get on more and more and I don't really know why I think we live in a world where actually we've had it so good for so long that people get quite upset about small insignificant things because they've never really had to deal with awful and I think the coronavirus is actually throwing into perspective actually what it is to deal with things can you tell me a bit about how you see things at the moment with just the general society on and maybe we are a little bit too quick to fall out we are a bit too quick to get into arguments i think um first of all the the natural level of human society is, is people cooperating together that's the foundation and it falls apart when you get these fracture lines that come out of conflict now the thing about conflict is that people have three in our view three basic things they need to be heard they want to be understood and they want to be valued and you know maybe we're not listening to people enough although we have lots of communications we don't listen uh, maybe we don't spend enough time trying to understand people and I suspect we don't show people that we value them enough and therefore the lines of conflict are exacerbated. I like that, heard, understood and valued. I, I'm writing that down so that if I, my wife tells me off again that I can um, make sure I'm 
make sure I'm ticking all three of those boxes. Um, but why would she tell me off? I, I'm, I'm near enough perfect. I'm just. Um, so how are you taking that into the workplace? Because I imagine you've got the difficulty of um, there are people in power that maybe aren't doing those three and don't see the need to do those three. And there are people who aren't in power who are desperate for those three to happen and vice versa in those business relationships. Normally I ask guests to keep it to 90 seconds, two minutes for an answer, but please feel free to go with this one because I think it's an in-depth one we need to hear. The, um, right, if you have people in power who don't want to listen uh, or who simply don't care about their workers, then you're never gonna fix anything and, and, and you'll just have these fractures getting, getting greater and eventually the thing will collapse. If on the other hand, people want to do something about it, then um, we use three lines of attack. So the first is to develop collaborative leadership. Develop leaders who are better suited, develop individuals who are better suited to be leaders to lead in the 21st century rather than perhaps adopt a 19th century leadership model. The second thing is we teach people how to understand and manage conflict. So you never get it to go away, but you can manage it. Um, and if you manage it right, you get benefits. So that, for instance, if we manage what comes out of the coronavirus crisis properly, there is the opportunity to get a, a, better, a better society out of it. And the um, third piece is to engage people. So companies talk about employee engagement. We actually take it wider. We talk about total engagement because it's not just the employees, it's the leadership team who all need to be engaged in making things better. And you bring the three together and it works pretty well. So obviously we can't portray any confidentiality, but can you give me an example of some of the work you've done in the last 12, 18 months with people? Because I'm, I imagine people watching and listening are too. I'm very interested. What you said there is something that I've come across in workplaces. Thankfully, touch wood. I, I hope that none of my team would say we've got any of that at our place. But um, I dare say that at times we could all do a bit more of that you must be going in some places where there are real issues um so two questions um happy for me to repeat the second one in a second but first one is how can you help people who are seeing something go wrong stop it from getting awful or stop it from getting really bad and then secondly if it has gone really bad what are the couple of first couple of things that you can do with them so we'll do prevention first and then cure so if people know the rot setting in, what can they do to cut it out? If people have a sense that there's something going on uh, and they're not quite sure, what they need to do is to start asking questions, but not, not, the, not the policeman's questions, um, but asking questions about how people feel working in this workplace, what it means to them, how they... Um, feel about what's going on because if you start to do that you get the uh, emotional piece coming through and um, conflict is essentially an emotional it's an emotional business so you can't solve it by the logical process you have to engage in the emotional process first understand that build trust and then once you've got trust you can then move to the logical solutions so I like that you're not leading with logic, which actually would be, I imagine, the primary 
way that people try to go. They go with, oh, well, this is logical. Let's do this. And I know, I, hand, hands up, I'm guilty of that. I, I default to logic if I think there's something wrong. Because why wouldn't you do the logical thing? But what you're saying is you've got to get the emotional side, I suppose, because you can't get people to engage with the logic. Is that, is that the point? They can't engage. Yeah, and it's, and it's understanding that how one person sees the problem is not the same as the other. So if you take the process, the, the, the issue of coronavirus at the moment, returning people to work, reintegrating the workforce, um, some people would have seen the coronavirus as, you know, I've been the key worker who stayed on working, manning the office day in, day out, while other people have been sitting on furlough. And yet the people on furlough might say, well, we've been dying to get to work and actually we're really worried about our jobs and being made redundant. And so it hasn't been a particularly pleasant piece for us. And if you understand that, you can then start to sort of reintegrate them on a, in a proper manner rather than just throwing them together and letting these tensions all come to the surface later. Well, the coronavirus has really shown that we, we, we are a bit divided, whether you're red or blue or whatever the political leaning might be. The divisions have been quite strong um, and quite quite nasty. It may maybe it's always been that, but I think people have the ability to be heard more easily now, and also heard with heard blindly, so they can just say their piece without anyone speaking back. So we we tend to have quite powerful, quite negative statements, and and I don't think that necessarily is a good thing because the one thing you said about is being heard and understood. But that just can't happen in that format. And the coronavirus, I think, you went online today on um, Sunday afternoon, evening after Boris had given his um, laying out what the plan forward was. And it ranged from some people saying quite awful things like, I hope you get COVID again, Boris, through to, oh my God, what an amazing plan. There was, yeah. no, in, there was, there, there was no discussion. There was no interaction. It was just, statements anywhere from horrible hoping someone gets ill to saying he's the new messiah which is obviously also not correct so how do you deal with that because you must come across quite a lot of that where people are saying things via email or they're communicating in a certain way and maybe discussion is completely broken down the um what we what we try and do at the moment at the moment, we use uh, people use debate, which is adversarial. I put my point, my point wins, your point loses. And therefore, we have this partisan discussion, which, as you say, gets quite polarized at the edges. Um, we would say what you have to do is to move it through, to, through a three-point process. So first of all, you start off with dialogue. And dialogue is non-positional. So we're having a conversation in dialogue to understand each other's position or to how we think about it. Um, and you could have a dialogue about the treatment of coronavirus as to, as to, um, you know, what we think. And I have to say the whole thing uh, is not helped by the fact that the scientific community are themselves engaged in a conflict between rival teams. So that's mm -hmm. going on in the background as well. Um, once you understand it and you have a good understanding of these things, then you can move to discussion. So discussion is, is talking about options. Here are the options. Let's look at the pros and cons of these options based on what we've already understood through dialogue. And then 
Only then, when you've agreed an, an option, can you negotiate the detail. And if you take that step, actually, that, those three steps, that then helps you solve these quite complex problems in a consensual manner. Some, it's really simple when you put it like that. Um, it's obviously one of the things is that you have to have people who are willing to participate. And that's, that's a huge benefit, I suppose, is that you, that you do have that because they're not, they're not coming to you and spending money with you and your service and your company to help them. If they're not, if they're not wanting to, to um, actively get involved. And that must be a big benefit is they, they, they want to get involved. So what do you do if you have the reluctant leader or the, let's just, good scenario, you've got three directors in a firm and a few senior managers and, and one of the directors just doesn't want to engage. How, how can you help get that round? Because you must have that. You must have come across that where you don't have full buy-in or any buy-in from one member of the team. The... Um... Yeah, I mean, you normally start off in that position where people people believe they don't need to engage or don't want to engage. But um, first thing is you explain the costs of, of engaging in conflict. So every conflict, doesn't matter whether you win or lose, has a cost in terms of the time you invest in it, which can be, uh, is measured at sort of 25% of your time if you're involved in conflict, is dedicated to, to the conflict rather than getting on with your job. Uh, it's the money involved the cost of resolving this conflict if you um, either if you th through lost productivity and through you know failure to innovate and move the business forward or the costs the real hard costs if you go through the legal system and um, go through the courts and then the third the po third point is the sh sheer emotional um, pressure of, of being involved in conflict now a small percentage will enjoy it but the majority don't and um, you know, if you look at the pressures on Theresa May during the whole Brexit, three years of mm. uh, her reign in Brexit, I mean, they must have been, you know, pretty horrendous from a personal point of view. Mm. Uh, and so we, and so we talk about that. You know, do you do you want to? Is this is this a, a cost that you're prepared to bear? Um, and the next point, the other point we make is that if you engage in conflict, the outcome is never clear. So, you know, you can go back and read your Clausewitz, you know, the end state is never defined before you start. No, I, I, that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. It's not something I'd consider before, but with through conflict, you don't actually know where it's going to go, where if you actually work through the process with someone like yourself, you can have an idea of where you want to get to. That, that, that's a huge, there must be a huge selling point, both the time and the fact we're managing to an outcome. Yeah. And so we would say, do this quicker with us. And, and come to a consensual agreement, which you can live with and, and be comfortable with and not have to go back into the boardroom feeling, you know, deeply uncomfortable every time. Yeah, I, I, you only have to look at, without know, getting too dark, you only have to look at the rates of suicide, mainly, sadly, sadly it's mainly men that, that have in and around board level positions, that, mm. that it's... It's, it is a thing that people that are unhappy, they go in and out of the boardroom very, very depressed. It's not a positive experience for them. And, and let's be honest, I think you and I will agree, and I don't think anyone would disagree, that, that preservation of life and looking at helping people be happy is probably more important than whether the company makes an extra 2% profit. But equally, the, 
profit is important as well to shareholders and to people in the business. But you're trying to get that really good balance and making sure people are, are getting over conflict and they don't have those difficulties. What I am finding is that when I'm listening to you, that besides the fact you've got a lovely melodic voice, and it's, it's, I, think you, I think you disperse conflict just by, by your presence, is that you talked about emotion and logic. And it does seem to be that you're having to tip a fine line between emotion and logic a lot of the time. Um, right, I found when I started this that I had to do a, uh, had to turn my, my thinking through 180 degrees. So as a soldier, you looked at the facts, you understood what was what, what needed to be achieved, you came up with a plan, you, you made it, you cracked on and went to the next problem. But in this, you have to... Um, Engage with the, with the emotional first, even though you can see the solution. You engage with the emotional first and let the logic come out. And, it's, and actually what you do is you flip between the two. So you, 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 you flip um, between emotion and logic as you see fit to eventually create this new solution or to enable this new solution to emerge. So it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a day's work doing it is hard graft. And again, all the things you discussed about, you've got the reluctant leaders to get involved, you've got people who aren't listening, people who aren't, yeah, you, it is difficult. Yeah, and I, certainly, a, certainly a task I don't envy. Now, with your, with your experience and talking about another task we don't envy, I don't expect you to dig yourself in a hole politically. I really don't. Um, and I'm aware that there are two ends of this spectrum of the coronavirus, but when you talk about maybe not not how they've handled it because i truly believe they're trying to do the best they can and they're trying to do everything they can with regards to um making the right decision we'll only find out if it's the right decision in maybe two three four five years time we need to make sure that where possible we try to understand each other in that argument but how do you feel they've done, especially regarding the collaboration and the cooperation and the communication? So that sounds a little bit over the top, but I don't, I don't know if we understand the collaboration. You said about different science, scientists, different governmental departments. What do you see coming out of all these discussions and, and the way they're operating? And what could you have helped them with, maybe? <laughs> well, um, in terms of communications, because communication is very you know it's obviously very important in this I think the communications have improved dramatically I think at the start of the, the, the crisis they were they were rather sort of woolly and facetious and now it's quite um, factual which I think is what people want to know because people are, are scared um, in terms of the collaboration I mean I think they I think the crisis management process has worked um, but I think there are issues, as I said, between the scientific community in particular, where egos are, are very much at play. Um, I think within government departments, there was probably an issue early on, particularly when the prime minister was ill and there was a sort of bit of power play going on there. So I don't think that worked particularly well. Um, I think there is an interesting piece about how we could help or could have helped in, in, in theory. If you take the and issue I, between... And I don't expect you to 
be horrible or feel you can't but I, I really am interested in that so don't please don't be humble what what could you have done because I think it's really important for us to understand that so please don't be humble just go, go for it well where I think our approach would have helped and where we could have helped personally is in this in this pulling apart of the four nations so each nation has decided it's going to handle this this issue in a slightly different way um, and that is creating tensions within the union uh, which which some people are trying to exploit and I think that we would have said look you must have more open dialogue between each other about why Scotland is going to adopt a different policy about why you know Wales and Northern Ireland are going to do things differently and that way you then understand it and there may be very good reasons for doing it and you you start to take the party political piece out of it and bring it down to reality so that's how that's and i think taking the party party political piece out is key find the fact that people are injecting politics into this at the moment is just it's just i don't know why it's i do know why it's happening because it's any chance to be anyone with whatever colored stick you hold and support but now isn't the time. Now is the time to, to embrace logic, to, to look at science, to, to understand what's working, to balance life and the economy. All these things need to be weighed up. So how do you, I know you've touched on it, but how do you sort of grab these people and say, come on, let, let's get rid of this part of political piece. Let's work together. What, 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 again, specifically for the coronavirus, how would you have done that? The, um, well, you know, my experience of handling crisis is that there is the crisis to be dealt with and then there is the aftershock because there is always an aftershock. Um, there is a time when you need to get everyone together working on the same page and then there's a time where you can, you can run the, the replay and see what went wrong, what went right, etc, etc. And um, the question I would put to these people uh, is how does this help? So how does what you are doing, how does that help the situation? And of course it doesn't, it just creates little little fracture lines, um, adds to the fake news pool, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying we shouldn't challenge people over the handling of situations, but maybe now is not the time to do it, but, but there will come a reckoning. No, I, I like that. I've, I've written that down. Let's run the replay later. It's um, no, I like that. That's really, again, it's why you do what you do. Come on, guys, let's work together. Because how, how is the bickering helping? Like, just I, I despair at some of the things in the media. There's quite negative responses. And you hear about death rate this, infection rate that, but they they never talk about they ne they never talk about it in context. Like, yeah. I, I, I think that there's been amazing work. We cannot deny how well New Zealand have done, but to compare New Zealand with us is bonkers. They have a, a population that's many times smaller. They have a landmass where the population is spread out massively in many ways, yet they still have their cities, obviously, but they've got a much smaller population. So, but we find that our media, rather than, rather than report facts, what they tend to be doing at the moment is it still seems to, be, seems to be quite salacious and, and, I, and I've, I've stopped watching the um 
the, the daily daily broadcast by, by the Prime Minister and by different members of Parliament, the, the, the Cabinet, sorry, as soon as it goes to, and now we'll throw to the media for questions, we'll stop watching it. Because it seems to be, there seems to be a competition of who can ask a question that puts them in the most difficult position. And I, and I, and I, don't, I don't see, as you say, I don't see the value of it. Let's run the replay later. But how does all of the negativity actually help anyone? I think we all know that we could have had more PPE. We all know that we would have liked fewer deaths. But we're actually, we've actually done very well in many ways when you consider our aged, our aged population. You know, so many people over, the, over those ages in the at-risk categories. You're right, I don't understand how, how that does help. And maybe we could have said to the whole, whole of the country, I've written a line down to say, let's run the replay later. We, let, let's judge later if it's a success or not. Yeah. I mean, I do think if you are in a crisis, people need to pull together to resolve the crisis. There are always going to be um, variations on how you do it, maybe. But the, the question I would put to, you know, you know, as you say, salacious reporting, is how does this help us get over this crisis? And um, actually, it would be more interesting to understand, not that there is a shortage of PPE, but, but the reasons for that shortage and the failure to procure stuff on time. That would be the, the more interesting piece. And therefore, what could we do to, to, to make it better? Well, I, and, and I, I've got a friend who, I've got a friend, I, again, I don't want to just, just take any sort of, um, divulge any sources, but we had a lot of PPE waiting in docks to be ordered off the ships and out of, and out of the warehouses. And it took four days for the certain places, certain people in different positions of power to, to get that to the right place. So we, we, we had it waiting. It was just a breakdown in communication internally with some upper management in different departments, the NHS and the government and this, that and the other. So these are the things that we should be looking at. And it's, but it doesn't necessarily make good headlines. It's, um, and I think we, we, we digress. It's, it's, it's more about, as you say, pulling together and I like I like that and it's how, how are you helping with that reporting and I don't think many of many of the media outlets have maybe got the temperature of the country right on this I think the country was looking for what are we doing how are we doing it let's pull together let's be positive yeah. and actually a lot of the media is led with what's gone wrong and I don't think that's what people wanted at this time and, and maybe there's a responsibility in that and partly why I started doing these was to provide a little bit of Education, entertainment. Oh, God, if anyone finds me entertaining, they must be desperate. But that's trying. I don't get it, and I, I think I could waffle on about it for ages. But I don't know why the negativity was the route that they went. I don't. Yeah, I, I suspect it's as much the the the, um, the business model. I think the the pressures of feeding the twenty four hour news roll just mean they have to they have to keep regurgitating some stuff when there's nothing more to add it and so, so they just keep regurgitating the same story yeah no, as I, is it, and i'm not i'm not one to bash the media in general i actually think that they've got a really hard job because you do have those two spectrums we spoke about even that even on sunday night with people hoping boris gets ill again and other people saying he's the greatest person that's ever lived we both know that neither of those neither of those stances are the correct stance to probably take um, so I do think the media have a very difficult job because they're trying to satisfy such a 
a disparate population who've got so many different opinions and that must be difficult and I do know from behavioural psych psychologists spoken to that the one thing that does seem to unite people quicker than good news is bad news. That I know behavioural behavioral analytics they've spoken about for Facebook is that actually more people will weigh in on a negative post, talking about negative prob problems, than they will ever about positivity and solutions. And apparently it's something like four and a half to one. So there is obviously a, a reason that people do this because they get they get that interaction. And relating that lastly then into business for you, how do you with positivity get that, sorry, with negativity, get over that initial negative? I know we've spoken about emotions, but you must come across a lot of negativity in workplaces. How quickly is it important to discuss and move on from the negative to find a solution? Yeah, I mean, it, the answer is you want to move on relatively quickly. So um, if I give you an example, when I, one of my last jobs in the army, we were doing the um, correlating all the lessons learned in Afghanistan. And um, in 2009, morale was quite low, not, not rock bottom, but morale had dipped in the army because casualties had been quite high. And we took to interviewing all the soldiers and everyone coming back from Afghanistan. And the one thing they said is, look, we know what's going wrong. Uh, we know how to fix it. It's just that nobody is listening to us. And so we then started to correlate it, showed them our results as to what we had heard from them and, and what we did. So through the, through the development of new, new training, doctrine, weapons, et cetera, et cetera, and the speed with which we were able to do that. And the net result was that um, morale went up operational performance went up and you know the business end got a lot better so so you know listening to people and letting them know that you that they've been heard is a is a is a fantastic tonic and and that's in many ways i think is you know the government needs to do that at the moment um businesses need to do that internally and 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 going back to the media that that i think is where the media really sort of comes into play I think I think the media done such an amazing job in so many ways over the years to help communicate with people and be positive. I think that maybe no, none of us were prepared across any across any part of society for the coronavirus, and and that perhaps that's that's the situation we find ourselves in. I think I look at some of the amazing reporting we've had over the last 15, 20 years, both being investigative journalism and just general journalism, where we've actually built the country up and made the country feel happy, and possibly with this coronavirus we weren't quite sure which way to go um i think we, we, we will go back to the days where we where we all are upbeat again and simple things that you see about people being so happy they can now go for a, a second walk in the day or yeah. they, or, or, the, or they, they can actually go for a walk by the seaside obviously using common sense don't think 30 people and don't all congregate that's not that's against the rules but we live in society hopefully we'll get those, those that, that happiness but just the reporting of some of those things. Some of the people are so happy, and that's that's great. And I think in times like this, that that bringing that happiness is is the key. And I always say about it: we all, no matter what you no matter what you sell, be it a will, a divorce, conflict resolution, golf lessons, whatever you sell, you actually sell happiness because you're happy you've had a good divorce. You're happy conflict resolved. You're happy you've hit the ball further. You're happy that you've got got the right will, whatever it might be. 
happiness is probably the, the trading commodity we should focus on most. Um, Felix, yeah. thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Have you got any closing remarks? Because I'm always, I'm always interested to hear what people have got to say just to close off with. I was just going to pick up on, on what you were saying um, about happiness. And um, my observation would be that it's all relative, isn't it? Mm. You know, three months ago, your definition of happiness would have been something. Now, your definition of happiness is having a second walk in a day. It's all relative and, and we should embrace it when we can. Yes, very right. Very, very, very right. The, the def definition of happiness is, is, is going to the supermarket and finding one bag of self-raising flour these days. That, that, that tends to be the happiest, happiest thing for many, many people. Yeah. Felix, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoy it. Um, for anyone who wants to get in contact with Felix, his details will be in the last slide at the end. Um, it'll be there for a good sort of 30, 40 seconds and you can pause it as well so you can get those details. I encourage you, if you do have any conflicts or any disputes that you want to resolve, please speak, with, please speak or contact Felix and he'll be able to help you with that. So once again, my name is Ben Mason, CEO of Kinheric, and it's been great having you with us today. Thank you so much and all of you have a lovely day. Enjoy your second walk and take care. Bye-bye.